Hello and welcome to the Yonder podcast. My name is Louise Donkor and I'm a marketing communications manager at Yonder. This Monday, 18th of July, is Nelson Mandela International Day, a day in honour of the late South African president celebrated each year on his birthday. Mandela Day emphasises the power each individual has to change the world and is an occasion for everyone to take action and inspire change. This really resonates with us here at Yonder, and we wanted to know more about Mandela and his approach to empathetic and moral leadership. Today, I'll be speaking to Rory Stain, an accomplished former member of the South African Police Force. In 1996, Nelson Mandela appointed him leader of his personal protection team, where Rory witnessed firsthand the positive impacts Mandela had on South Africa and the world. The Yonder Podcast. Okay, so Rory, thank you so much for speaking with us today. How are you doing? It's a great pleasure, especially on International Mandela Day, Louise, and I'm doing just fine. Thank you. It's amazing to me that I'm sitting in South Africa and the temperature in London is warmer. But (laughs) (laughs) I know, who would have thought it? So I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your time with Mandela and what you learned from him. So um, I'll just get cracking onto the the, uh, first one. Yes. So what are some of the most impactful lessons that you've learned from your time with with Madiba? Well, there are many, and I have tried very hard since I served him and, uh, you know, left the police service at the time, which was in June of 99. And at the time, our three sons were quite young, and I've tried, uh, my wife and I tried very hard to teach and to inculcate many of those lessons. And so I'll, I'll give you a few examples, Louise. So the first thing that President Mandela said is that it's better to sit down and talk to your enemy than to fight with him. And that is something that resonates quite strongly even now. So um, the fact of the matter is that whether it's, you know, wars, and we're seeing this awful conflict in in Ukraine, aren't we? Mm. Is, Is war a solution? No. Is violence a solution? No. Can you resolve a conflict effectively through violence? Probably not. So the lesson to sit down and talk to your enemy rather than to fight with him is, you know, demands a great deal of maturity, but there's, there's plenty of wisdom in that. The president also, Louise, had impeccable manners, and maybe it was just a generational thing, you know, the fact that he was two generations older than all of us as his protection team who served him. So he was almost like in a grandfather stratum, and we were the grandchildren. And um, so there was a tremendous amount of respect. And apart from the, from the very real sense that we all had without anybody having to tell us the, of the moral leadership and the moral value that President Mandela brought to society and to humankind, apart from all of that, there was this generational thing. So, for example, he would never walk past a lady without greeting her. He would always stand up even when his knees weren't that great, when a lady walked into the room, just as a complete aside, because it's just jumped into my head now, Louise, uh, you know, it has been said that 
Queen Elizabeth, he was the only person that the Queen would allow to use her first name. So I don't know whether that's true, but I can tell you that I personally heard these two venerable old, you know, icons call each other by their first names. And it was, an, it was actually quite a beautiful thing. So in 1997, we came to the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Edinburgh, and we stayed in one of the hotels just off Prince's Street, and um, the Queen invited the President for tea one afternoon. And ordinarily, we would just take him, you know, with the British protection team to the entrance of the palace, and somebody from the Queen's staff would receive him. But they said to me, Rory, go in with the President, because there, there's a narrow, quite uh, an old staircase. And he's, as I said, his knees weren't great. So they said, go in with him. And I did that. And we were received by uh, the Queen's equerry and taken to a waiting room. And as Her Majesty walked in, again, the President was sitting in this high-backed chair and he pushed himself up. And as he saw her coming, he said to her, Your Majesty, how are you, Elizabeth? And she said, My President, how are you, Nelson? It's wonderful to see you. And it was just this beautiful moment in history and in time that I still, all these years later, feel so privileged to have witnessed. But the point I was making is that he had these impeccable manners, almost Victorian-style manners. You, you could call him a, a true gentleman. And yes. I, for one, do not believe that the age of chivalry is dead. And I do think that, you know, if, if a gentleman can hold a door open for a lady, you know, that should be done. And he was all about that. So, and punctuality, Louise, he was the most punctual person that I've ever met, I think. He hated being late, absolutely detested being late himself, which never happened almost, if he could help it. And if he needed to be somewhere, he was always on time and was quite put out when others, especially of a similar state, so other heads of state who shall remain unnamed, if they were late, it really, really wasn't something that he was very happy with. When I think of me personally, you know, we should have been enemies. I mean, Rory Stein and Madiba should have been enemies given our past. And yet he was quite happy to embrace not just me, but all the, the former enemies, those who represented, you know, the apartheid system or the state as it was, and just the incredible mental maturity to say, look, we've got to build one one nation and somebody needs to take the lead and to and you know and to set the tone and you know and he did that. You know, those are not lessons that you let go of very easily. Or if you do, there's I think there's a problem. So Louise, I try to remember that um, each and every day. And one more thing, if I may, he had this unbelievable love of children. And so if he was in a building somewhere and we as the protection team were waiting outside and we even saw or heard that there were children nearby, we knew when he walks out of that building, there's no way he's getting into the car. He's going to the kids, probably going to sing with them. And so we would adapt our protection strategy. We would send part of our team over to the kids and maybe they had a teacher there or something like that and we would say to them look the president may be in the area and he may which was you know a complete um, 
euphemism. There was no way it was May. It was he's coming there. And we would tell them, please, you know, this is what we'd like you to do. Don't all rush. Don't jump on the president. He'll greet each one of you by hand and say to the teacher, look, best you teach these kids the words to twinkle, twinkle, little star, if they don't already know it, because he's probably going to want to sing with them. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I, I'm just so proud that, you know, I served a president that, um, he was completely unfazed. He couldn't care what people thought. You know, if there were children there, he would always want to go and interact with them. And and I say good on him. I love that about him. I love that. I really love that. Now, you you mentioned before leadership, yes. and I wanted to kind of touch a bit more on Madiba's leadership. So, to you, what makes a good leader, and how did Madiba exemplify that? Okay, so I think that when I mentioned it earlier, I was talking about this this incredible um, position of moral authority and leadership that he already had, but he never used that as a kind of stick to beat you with or anything like that. In fact, I think that the most striking thing to me, and bear in mind I was there in a particular capacity and don't have all of the inside information, you know, about how he led a cabinet in government and that sort of thing, but I think that to me, the thing that stood out the most about him was that he was a servant leader. And if you think of a hierarchy where you've got a president at the top or a whomever, a CEO or a general manager or chairman of the board, and you've got a, you know, a structure that flows down, servant leadership almost inverts that. And you've got the leader at the bottom and he is serving each tier above so that at the top where the broadest number of people that you're leading is, they are all supported by the servant leadership. And sometimes I find that it's a philosophy that gets poo-pooed and amongst, you know, am amongst men in particular, it's almost seen as somehow weak, weaker or, or less effective, effeminate even. And to him, I mean, for me, to see how he went about that. He always had a kind word. I'm sure that he was stern and tough and direct when he needed to be, and he was during the negotiations. There's absolutely no question. You know, he's on record. There's plenty of video footage of him taking a very, very stern approach and stance when negotiating South Africa's future with the government. But by and large, he set out to serve his people. I mean, if you think about it, Louise, that's actually why he was incarcerated, because he wanted to serve and he wanted to lead his people. And he led by example. Things like being punctual were a great example. And, of course, combined with this innate moral uh, leadership, given the fact that he had spent 27 years incarcerated for what he believed in, just made him a very, very easy person to follow. But I think if I had to... If I had to put it into one form of leadership, it would be servant leadership, yeah. And kind of leading by example as well would have been, uh, you know, at the time where South Africa was coming from, was he able to, because that must have been a very tough thing to lead by example, but because of the change that needed to happen, it's a very slow process. Did he feel that change was happening fast enough? Was he comfortable with that change? Did he know that it would take you know, quite a long time. Was he patient with it? How did he kind of approach that? I, I think there's probably two different um, sides to, to the answer to that question, Louise, because certainly initially, if you think about the fact that the treason trial that convicted him and sent him to prison for life was in 1964, and he spent 27 years, uh, you know, behind bars, then no, then it wasn't anywhere near fast enough. But with a lot of determination and with a lot of 
uh, perseverance, he saw out those those 27 years. And then when he became our president, he has stated, or he is on record as having said, you know, we're not going to change the past and fix the, the problems and the, you know, the, the evils that uh, we've inherited overnight. He said it is going to take time. If we need to build houses, deliver electricity, running water and the like, you know, to the poorest of the poor communities, you don't just you snap your fingers and that happens. So I think he was a realist. In many ways, he was a, absolutely, you know, he was a realist. So I would say that in, you know, certainly for those, you know, for that first period and even before he went to prison, when he was an activist and when he was, you know, this, this young firebrand leader that stood up to the iniquities of the system of the day, um, I don't think that uh, it was anywhere near fast enough. And in fact, he was probably a little bit impatient or a lot. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't blame him, but 27 years in, in prison yeah. gives you a lot of time to think and when he came out when I think of Mandela he's so graceful and so just a calming presence so I think he kind of maybe it's like a duck kind of as a duck swims you have the analogy of it's very graceful but underneath there's there's things you know working exactly exactly. you know and again you know he has said that one of the wonderful things about that was that they one thing you have in prison is time and he had yeah. some amazing minds that he was surrounded with that they could debate things like. And I don't think they ever, I think it's fair to say that they, I don't think they ever gave up hope that one day they would be free and would realize the, you know, the freedom and emancipation of their people as well. And then what? Let's have a plan. And again, if you just think of the, of the foresight or the political maturity or the, or the leadership, call it what you will, of, of Madiba. So imagine sitting in a cell on Robben Island and all the power obviously sits with the jailers and the system that incarcerated him. But in order to understand the psyche of the Afrikaner, who was the government of the day and the people that he would need, him and his party would need to ultimately negotiate with. So in order to understand them, he made a point of debating with and talking to those Afrikaner jailers. And he came to realize, and and I think that is a you know that cuts both ways. It's a two way street. I think they came to realize that you can actually amazingly enough find common ground to the extent that remember when he was inaugurated on the tenth of May, nineteen ninety four, he invited three of his prison warders to his inauguration ceremony as his guests. So think about oh. that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that. That really takes kind of releasing any kind of anger or anything like exactly. that, and just you know, it's all about forgiveness and let's move forward and, and build yeah. this nation. And Louise, I always use the analogy because by the time he now becomes president, he has all the power, you know, yeah. and probably every moral right to extend the fist of retribution, you know, and say it's our turn now. And yet he chooses the hand of forgiveness and reconciliation. So again, you know, the the tremendous maturity, the foresight, the political nous over matters that caused great hurt and harm to his people. He was able to Mm. say, you know what, they are good. And I heard him say that on so many occasions, they are good men and women in every community in South Africa. You know, and he meant that when he, you know, when he said it. So, yeah. So much to reflect upon in that, you know, in, 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 Mm. in, in, in that one statement. Yeah. And 
just to round off our conversation, sure. I wanted to kind of bring it to today. So yes. given the state of the, the world right now, what are some of the, the lessons our world leaders can, can adapt from from Mandela and the way he approached leadership? I know you mentioned leading by example. Yes. Having a kind of servant leadership. And um, and what I said earlier, you know, right right in the first instance about it always being better to sit and talk to your enemy than to fight with him. I think we the world needs to hear that now more than ever because if I just look at the suffering of Ukrainians, and they are, they're not the only ones, by a long chalk, they are not the only ones, Louise. But that's the, you know, that's probably when when this podcast is broadcast and heard, that will be front and center in the majority of people's minds, just because of the evil that's being perpetrated there against completely innocent people. I mean, communities that are bombed and hospitals that are destroyed and lives that are ripped apart. And women and children that have got to flee, if they can, leaving their, their menfolk behind. I don't think that he would be very happy with what's going on there and the state of the world. Rory, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Anytime, Louise. Um, you know, it's so important. I know I've said this to you before, but it's the reason I um, agree if I at all or in any way can to, you know, to speaking at a you know, at a valedictory service or at a school assembly or on a podcast. It's so important to me that the young people of the world, everybody that is young, you know, the the, 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 the current generation, we must not forget the lessons that he taught us. And that's why it's, you, you phone me anytime you need to ask questions about, about him and I'll jump at the opportunity to, to, to do so if I can, Louise. So thank you so much to you and to Yonder Group for having me on this podcast. And may I just wish everybody a happy International Mandela Day. Thank you, Rory, to you as well. Yes, ma'am. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Without. Constraints. Ideas. People. Technology. And Podcast.